If you've got a a Bible, can you turn to Psalm 120? If you haven't got a Bible and you'd like one, uh, put a hand up and uh, the stewards will make sure you get one. Uh, Psalm 120. If you're using a church Bible, that's on page 622. So hands up if you need one. And I'll read this together. And just by way of introduction, um, I I prepared reasonably early in the week uh, because um, even though it was half term, it turned into quite a, a full week. And um, I spoke to Joan, we spoke quite early about the service. And I said, I know it's Psalm 120, I felt really led to go to Psalm 120, but it's not really a Pentecost passage, it's quite, quite depressing uh, when you read it, it's quite downcast. And, um, but I felt this, that compelled that this was the passage I was going to preach from, and started preparing, and of course this morning it seems quite apt, and God knew, I guess. So, Psalm 120, this is a part of the Song of Ascents, uh, but Psalm 120. I call on the Lord in my distress, and he answers me. Save me, O Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. What will he do to you, and what more besides, O deceitful tongue? He will punish you with a warrior's sharp arrows, with burning coals of the broom tree. Woe to me that I dwell in Meshech, and that I live among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. I am a man of peace, but when I speak, they are for war. And so for Christians, as followers of Christ, here we are on the day of Pentecost, uh, where we remember that God's Spirit back then was poured out on all people, fulfilling prophecies that had been written hundreds of years before. And that's right that we should be Spirit-filled people. It's God's will for us that we'd be Spirit-filled. And so therefore we're a triumphant people. We're people of the resurrection. Uh, We know how it's going to end. But in the middle of it all, we're in a bit of a mess. We're people that are told to be salt and light, to be ambassadors. And as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. We're people that should hunger and thirst for righteousness. But isn't it mornings like this morning that we can be stopped in our tracks? We we heard this news last night, just before we went to bed, and then, of course, uh, stayed up and was watching some of the videos as it was coming in live, and then this morning again, uh, getting up and seeing even more of the horror. We can be stopped in our tracks. And where do we turn to when that happens? Who do we turn to when that happens? The world thinks it has the answer, but it doesn't really. We have to turn to God in our distress, and this is what this psalmist is doing. You look at the world around you, what do you see? What do you hear? What do you read about? What do you believe? What does the world believe? Increasingly not God. There's destruction and murder, catastrophe, persecution. It's not all bad. There's lots of good things as well. There's a lot of bad going on. And it can be quite depressing. A culture which sometimes uh, where people lie or governments lie or people of religion lie. You end up being very untrustworthy. Who can I trust? Sometimes it can be a culture that breeds a dissatisfaction. People know there is something more. Uh, I tell them that sometimes in Alpha or in my journeys around, uh, wherever that is. And I say, it must be more to life. And they say, oh yeah, we know. Don't know what it is though. And they're searching down all sorts of other directions. It's a culture that, certainly in the West, where materialism is seen as the answer, but it's not. Or maybe secularism, but it's not. Or humanism but it's not. Anything but Christ. 
And the church is called to profess Christ and say, he is the answer. And he's the only answer. And one day it will be okay, but in the meantime, his church is called, you and me, to be a difference in the world. Uh, one of my favourite bands, not so much recently, but back in the day when they were still, well, I think they're still hardcore, I suppose, uh, U2. And uh, uh, they've done a lot of good things uh, and written some great songs, I think. But one of the songs uh, they sang, they've got everything the world can offer them, really. Money, adulation, sold-out stadiums. Amazing. They wrote the song in the middle of all that. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. So many people haven't found what they're looking for. Some of them don't even know what they're looking for. They just know something's missing. And the reason it's missing is because all of us have been created in the image of God. We've all been uh, created to have a relationship with him. So if we haven't got that relationship with him, they still haven't found what they're looking for. But it's often that knot and that angst, that dissatisfaction with whatever you have or whatever they have that might be set, you set up on this path towards God. We turn our face in the, in the midst of despair and destruction towards God. To choose as Christians to continue to walk with God, not because of things, but sometimes in spite of things. It could be sickness, it could be ill health, it could be bad finances, it could be people have let us down, it could be bombs or martyrs. Um, but we choose to follow God. We choose to come and gather this morning and say we're still going to meet around the Lord's table and God is unchanging and he will bring things to a completion. And this is our motivation, isn't it? That disquiet that people have, the something else factor to continue to walk or even maybe for some start the journey with God. That's our, that's our motivation. There, more, there must be more than this. People are asking what the meaning of life is. It can only be found in one person. Some think they'll find the answer elsewhere as they search for meaning and truth in a world that really doesn't ultimately provide the response they need. They trust that maybe this next election will eradicate crime and make sure that justice gets done. Maybe a scientific breakthrough will save the planet or the next pay rise might push them over the edge of anxiety into a life of tranquility. It doesn't. While you think that, while you look into other things other than God, then they're unlikely to look for faith because they're putting their trust in something else. They've made something else their trust in, rather than in God. Their faith has already been claimed by the world. Our faith they haven't heard. So my response, and I hope yours as well, is I get frustrated and I get annoyed that people believe it believe these distractions away from God. It frustrates me that when we give someone the gospel, they don't respond. It frustrates me that people say, well, what what do I need to do then, Ian? I say, well, the Bible's clear. Repent, turn to God. Trust in him. Get baptised. And and they refuse. And I think, you're in rebellion. You're not getting this. And it frustrates me. And it should frustrate you as well. We have to get annoyed with the lies, of all these lies that pull people away from God. These ways of the world, we have to be annoyed at them so that people come to realise that they don't give the answers, they don't provide the answers. And then when they're so hungry for truth because they've been searching for it in all sorts of other ways, when they've been searching for their reality, for meaning, when their appetite for that hunger is only fulfilled in that one person. They get it for the first time. The one who says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. 
We have to get frustrated. And we have to cry out to God. Because the world does seem to be going down the wrong road. And we've got this message of hope and of love and of reconciliation. And we're supposed to be a people calling people towards God. Not just his church, should be an agent of the kingdom, but into his kingdom. And Psalm 120 is a psalm of such a person, fed up, he's demoralised with the lies, he's crippled with hate, he's saddened in what's going on in the world. But it's more than sadness, it's more than just moaning, it's a pain that's penetrating through the despair and stimulates a new beginning because he's on a journey and the journey that turns its face and begins a life towards God that becomes of life of truth and peace. The psalm isn't a happy one. I'm going to read it, uh, read it at the beginning, the first verse again, and then the last verse. So I call on the Lord in my distress and he answers me. The last verse, I'm a man of peace, but when I speak, they are for war. That's the reality. Verse 1, it begins and ends badly, doesn't it? I'm in distress is in the first verse and war is in the last word in the psalm. Distress and war. It's not a happy beginning and end. Uh, It's not quite a Pentecost sermon, isn't it? At the moment, it's not triumphant. But at least it's an honest answer. At least it's an honest question. At least it's an honest crying out to God. Doesn't it seem sometimes when you look around that the world loves a fight? People at the drop of a hat can start hitting each other. I've seen it. Just because they've been cut up in the road or looked at the wrong way. And we've got this propensity to, to do evil. Some people have. Wars are everywhere. Even on a micro scale, you see this. People setting against each other because they said the wrong thing. And there's an underlying rage that sometimes the smallest trigger releases the bullet of anger to the surface. Ian Moore often says, doesn't he, some of these young men, when he goes into the prison, they're there today. Um, And uh, a lot of them are in there, they've just got a bit unlucky. When I say unlucky, some of them would have got into a fight, which people do, but it was a good punch, and the guy hit his head, and he's dead. So now you're in jail for 15 years. And you could say, well, he shouldn't have hit him, and you'd be right. But really, it happens hundreds and hundreds of times every weekend. He just got a bit unlucky with the result. So how quickly your life can change, because underlying rage is around. My, my, my bugbear, I have to tell you, is uh, mobile walkers. What I mean by that, I know people who walk are mobile, but when they've, where's mine? I went, you know, they're walking along like this. You know, you, just, you ever get that? And then you bump into them, they go, oh, like it's your fault. <laughs> really annoys me. <laughs> when I used to travel, uh, broken in the city, um, the other one that I think I've mentioned this before, the other one that used to annoy me, you ever had the three-seaters people on the tube? They get on the tube, you know, everyone else sits like this, don't they? They're not big seats, but no, they have to, you know, like that. And they're taking up the two, two, the other side of them as well as this one. And I wouldn't have it. I was like, well, that's it, I'm getting in. And I'll just bash it. But you get a dirty look, you think, could easily... And I've seen fights at 5.30, 6.30 in the morning on the tube. Can you believe that? It's there. People have this propensity. Sometimes I used to feel lucky just to have made it in. <laughs> when you reflect on it, we all yearn, don't we? And the world, I think, is yearning for something different. There's a dissatisfaction. We want a harmonious world, but we don't see it. We want harmonious churches. We see it more, but sometimes it's not. We could say, along with the psalmist in verse 7, if you see it there, I'm a man of peace. But the reality of the world gives us no assurance of peace. There's no encouragement of that truth. 
And he's honest, isn't he, when he follows that statement, I'm a man of peace, but when I speak, they're all for war. The distress that the psalmist is writing about at the beginning, and then the depressing conclusion at the end of war, is the painful awakening to a reality that the world has been lied to. They're looking, they're looking to the wrong answers, they're looking to the wrong ideology. The world isn't okay. Things are not as they should be, and they're not getting any better. The lie that's around is that the world is a safe and secure place to live. Everybody is sweet and nice. Everybody's innocent and everybody can be self-sufficient. And if things are wrong, then it's somebody else's fault. Maybe I can make my perfect life if I strive for it. Protect all the people I love from any danger. And people believe this even though the evidence of history says that's not true. They're caught up in this great lie that whatever it is they're looking for will provide their happiness and their fulfilment. They've been fed the lie that life should be perfect, full of health, full of wealth, full of love, full of grace, not a lot of effort. They set themselves up for a life of disappointment because sometimes life disappoints. And as a people of God, we know that. We know we're going to be persecuted because Jesus warns, warns us. He says, you're blessed when that happens. When people say things about us, you're blessed. Rejoice and be glad. They did the same to the prophets before you. But if we expect too much before Jesus returns or we're called home, we're going to be disappointed. Because it's not the truth and the expectation won't be fulfilled. Leading to that feeling that we spoke about at the beginning that maybe the next big thing will answer all my problems. Only one, only one person can fill that void. And the Christian conscience has this realisation, and it's a painful one, that we have the truth and the world has been telling us a lie. And the world at the moment is believing the lie. The psalmist's response to verse 1 of distress is found in verse 2. Save me, O Lord, from lying lips. There's a lot of deceit in the world pulling people away from God. So what does it mean for us on our journey of realisation, of knowing a reality of Christ. It means we can say to God ourselves, save me, O Lord, from many things. Save me, O Lord, from the lies that tell me what I must have, what I need, or what I should have. Save me from the lies of how I should look. Save me from the people in power that have no real morality and are leading us down the wrong path. Save me from those who speak down to me. Save me from the idea that I can do it on my own without you. Save me from ministers and pastors who water down your message so I might not get inconvenienced with your truth. Save me, Lord, from those who love to talk about life but disregard Christ. Save me from anything that distracts me in my following of you. The lies are out there. And the lies want people to think they can find the answers without God and without Christ. We can't. Jesus said, I am the truth. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. He unashamedly pointed to himself. This differentiates him from other so-called religious leaders. He shines his light into a dark world and he calls us to be light as well. And if you refuse to see it, you'll be consumed to a life of stumbling and, and, and falling because you'll be walking in darkness. He is the truth. If we ignore him, then we start to believe those lies, that there's other things that can satisfy, which leads to lives of desperation 
and dissatisfaction because they don't live up to the promise. So this morning for us, as a people of God, we open our eyes and we welcome the light shining, the truth of Christ going into a dark world by his people. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. The ambassadors who go into the world, all of you, will be going to different places other than this. Speaking truth, speaking Christ, and saying he's the answer. The word Lord only appears twice in this psalm, but it's the foundation of the answer, which is truth. Only godly truth, as we recognise God as creator of the world, and that you have a purpose and are loved by him. And people are desperate to hear that message, not the false messages that pull them away from God. He is the truth. He is the light that shines in the darkness. The truth is that God made you. The Bible says he knew you before you was formed in your mother's womb. That he loves you. That he knows everything about you. He knows the person sitting beside you. He loves them as well, despite what you might think. The truth about the world is that God provides, yet uh, people, people don't distribute it. There is enough food on the planet to feed everybody. The truth about what is wrong with the world is that you and I and the people around us, and, and again the ones sitting next to you, we're in sort of sometimes rebellion. We need to let God before us, over us, in us, beside us, everything. The truth about what should be the centre of our lives, what Christ did for us on the cross, that we're forgiven, redeemed, restored, which we're going to remember in a few minutes. The fact that he was raised for you, that we have eternal life, the proof of the resurrection, a life of truth with him found in mercy, empowerment and love. And Psalm 120 is a chance for us all again afresh this morning to make that decision that as we approach the cross, as we remember the cross, there are two roads of truth and lies and the truth is only in Christ, of light and darkness and he is the only light. And so we need to choose afresh this morning, maybe for the first time for some of you, which way you're going to follow and ask yourself the question, is the world's way working? The dreamy, cosy, I can make it on my own life or the transition to a better life, which is a tough pilgrimage sometimes of discipleship, of becoming more like Christ in faith, turning from a life of complaint and moaning and saying, people, someone should be doing something about this to actually doing it. To look for goodness even among the despair and desperation. I used to be like that. I used to think I was self-sufficient, that if I went out and forged a career, I'd be the provider, I'd work harder and harder, maybe neglecting the family, and I didn't see any need for God whatsoever. But then somebody told me and said there's a different way. And I knew that, I knew that way provided no fulfilment. Because you think it will and it doesn't. And then you come to have an utter reliance on him. And now I feel that whatever happens, I know Christ is real. I know that he's died for me. And I know whatever happens in this life, I will be with him forever. That decision gets made by millions of people all over the world and over many centuries and continues to be made now as it's announced from pulpits and lecterns every Sunday morning, all over the world. People can never say that God wasn't calling out to them. And when that decision is taken, it's seen by millions in homes, factories, schools, businesses, offices, churches. When I made my decision, when you made your decision, it would have affected people around you. Some of my friends thought I'd gone crazy. Uh, some uh, thought I was confused. Some thought I need a crutch to lean on. I assure them I do. Some were quietly approving but didn't want to say. 
But, you know, over time at work, people would come to me for marriage advice. Uh, when I became a minister, they asked me to take some of their uh, relatives' funerals. A lot of them come up to me now, people I really think a lot of them say, oh, you're down. I don't believe what you believe. You're down to do my funeral. I say, how am I going to do that? I'll be so emotional. I love you. You've got to do it. You know, I'm not, I'm not trusting anybody else, but you get a reputation. As Christians, you would have made a difference to people's lives. They will look at you in a certain way, sometimes a strange way. And all those people, those millions over the ages have made that decision. They take delight. They're people called Christians. Originally, they were called followers of the way. Christians was a slur, but we're Christians. And Jesus says, I am the way. The step towards God is a step away from the lies, renouncing the idea that myself or your neighbour or the universe are all here with no input from God, that purpose can be found without him. It cannot. And that's the message we have for the world. The psalmist in verse 5 says, Woe to me that I dwell in Meshech, that I live among the tents of Kedar. These were real places. Their place names. Meshech was a far-off tribe, thousands of miles away from Palestine in southern Russia. Kedar was a wandering tribe of, of um, they quite barbaric reputation along the borders of Israel. And in this psalm, they're reflecting or representing the strange and the hostile. And it's like saying, I live in this world of lies, but in the end, it isn't my home. I want out. I don't want to be like them, and I want the truth. And the word used when we say no to the world's message, and sometimes our own message, and turn towards God and accept his truth, is called repentance. It means change your mind. Matthew 3, verse 2, John the Baptist said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus underlines it in Matthew 4, 17. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here. Peter, in his first sermon in Acts 2, 38, Repent and be baptised. Last book of the Bible, Revelation 3, 19. So be earnest and repent. The nation needs to turn back to God. It's a decision, a changing of my mind towards God. Anything else, when I ignore those words, it's just rebellion. And I'm actually facing the other way. And then, of course, once you've made that decision, you know what you can say no to, because you know what your yes is. Your yes is to God. Woe to me that I dwell in Meshach, that I live among the tents of Kedar. Woe to me that I live in the mess and the lies of the world and its false promises that lead to dissatisfaction and disappointment. But the message this morning is that you don't have to live there anymore. You can emigrate to a new truth found in God. That's the people we are. We're people of God. We've made that move. And if you haven't, you, know, you need to go and buy your ticket. We sell them here. Repentance is the first word in Christian immigration that sets you on your way to travelling. Travelling with the light on, the light of the world in your hearts, in your very being, with the one who points to himself, the one who said, I am the truth. Setting our life in the direction of God, following him. It's a rejection of the world that leads to acceptance of Christ. And when we leave somewhere, we arrive, don't we? And we arrive on this journey to eventually be with him. So among all this desperation that you might feel this morning, of destruction, of murder, of catastrophe, maybe persecution, atrocity, whatever word you want to put in there, it is bad and it is dark, but we're called to be salt and light. And we can shine light into those situations. Look in this week, just this week, we'll see some of it, it'll come out, I would imagine it's already out by the time we get home, of the signs of goodness that are around, because they're there. They are there. Some undoubtedly will be from last night, but I picked three out from the, the tragedy in Manchester a week or so ago. Taxi drivers refusing to take money uh, for fares. Uh, pizza 
parlours, sending pizza for nothing to the hospitals to feed the doctors and nurses and the police and all the other services. Or the lady that led 50 children to safety and then went out on Facebook and said, look, I've got 50 kids, come and collect them. If you look for it, you'll see goodness. It is there. And as Christians, we're called to be salt and light and we can show that goodness. We can show it in our response, whether that's on Facebook or dinner parties or whatever it is. We can show it in the way we live and we can make a difference in the world. We serve a faithful God and we, like the psalmist, need to call on him in our distress. Because we're a Pentecost people, which is a sent people, filled with his spirit, making a difference for his world, speaking peace into desperate situations. I'm going to pray for us and uh, that the musicians will come up and we'll sing a song that uh, reflects some of that, and, um, and then I'll serve communion. Father, we thank you for your word, and in a way, the Psalms are real. We don't have so many songs that are really lament, yet so many of your Psalms are. And so we call out to you in our distress, and we say we are your people, and we do want to make a difference for good in this world. And I thank you for all the encouraging stories, uh, where the way that people come together, the way that... Uh, People show real character in these times of confusion and desperation and uncertainty. But I pray for us as your people here now today, this morning, that as we go out into the world, an uncertain world, one where we can't protect ourselves from everything, that we once again put our trust in you and call others to do the same. And I pray, Lord, that people find their faith in you increasingly. And we do pray for this nation to have revival and turn its face back to you. In Jesus' name, amen.